right when you don't know what to do just keep on breathing from the city of angels in los angeles welcome to all my listeners out there in radio land i'm dave the caregiver's caregiver at caregiverdave.com along with my lovely co-host no she's not here today never mind (laughs) it's just me anyway we're coming to you live and on demand 24 7 uh, on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global Audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, CastBox. Oh, gosh, the list goes on and on. In fact, we are proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and number two on uh, Feedspot out of the top 60 and number two on CaringVillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. We're going to be talking about Stop People Pleasing. Hello. Learn how to say no, the most important word if you're a caregiver. (laughs) As a speech, language pathologist, life coach for more than 25 years and the author of three books, Segoina has helped thousands of stroke survivors and their caregivers transition after stroke, brain injury, and stinking thinking (laughs) to the next stages of their lives. You don't have to have a brain injury to damage your brain. You can damage your brain through the thoughts you think and the language you use. She specializes in working with clients on simple, functional, and integrative strategies for improving well-being using stress, effectively enhancing communication, and finding meaning and purpose in life. And she's the author of three books, as I said. But before we continue, I want to take this moment and thank my last week's guest, Dr. Wayne Pinkering. He's an author, national performance coach, life management consultant, professional speaker, and personal success coach for over 26 years experience. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of our other 26 global audio video platforms that I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. Segoina, welcome to the Caregiver Dave Show. We just love to ask our first time guests, even though you're a second time guest, we're going to ask you anyway, um, who is Sigoyna and why was she placed on this earth? Oh, God, I love that question. (laughs) And it's a question I ask myself often. So I thank you for this opportunity. I really have come to realize, I think I was placed on this earth to be um, of service in the pursuit of truth, in the pursuit of making things easier that are challenging in the pursuit of creating a feeling of empowerment for people, especially as they face difficult challenges. Mm. So it's, you know, the heart of a teacher, the energy of a guide and a coach and um, perennially curious. That's me. Perennially curious. Yeah. There's a couple of words you don't hear very often. (laughs) (laughs) well um so the topic of our show today to burned out caregivers who are most of our audience is learning how to say no and i always say you know you have to learn how to say yes you have to learn how to say 
no, actually when to say yes, when to say no. That was the title of one of my books. And, um, you know, it's, it's my life too. It's your life too. You know, you deserve a life. Uh, you're not in caregiver prison. Uh, you know, you aren't locked up for, uh, you know, life. And so I teach that practice saying no in the mirror. You can say no about a hundred different ways. I know my mother, my mother, my gosh, there's a Freudian slip. My <laughs> wife, <laughs> sorry, honey, my <laughs> wife um, had a stroke and no is her favorite word. She could say no so many different ways with tonality. She goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> So we're going to talk about how caregivers can say no, because a lot of times they're people pleasers. A lot of times they're uh, enablers. You know, a lot of times the loved one rules the roost, like uh, my two-year-old great-granddaughter rules the roost. They they have a way of just figuring out how things work and they control them. So go ahead. Well, and it's so interesting you bring up your granddaughter right away because no is one of the first words <laughs> that children learn and they learn how powerful it is that they have sovereignty over themselves and I, you know fighting with a 2 year old who's saying no is a formidable partner i mean <laughs> quite honestly and it's interesting that no has so many negative connotations when in many ways saying no is really a gift that we give to ourselves and to other people. Uh, indulging them, allowing is often what we think is giving. We think it's being nice. And I really want to question the notion of being nice as a person who is a people pleaser, right? When I first started to really learn about this, I was the first person to say, no, 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 I'm just being nice, right? <laughs> What's wrong with being nice? Well, the problem with being, quote, nice is that it looks like it's nice up front, but the reality is there's a lot of resentment that gets carried along. And so even though you might be doing something with a smile, the smile is gritting the teeth. It's seething with resentment. And that's not really nice. It's not nice for the person you think you're being, quote, nice to. And it's certainly not nice to oneself. And, and you said something, Dave. You said it's not caregiver prison. Um, that goes to a thought. And I will say that so much of the work that I do is really getting people to see their thoughts. What we think our facts are so often our thoughts. Right. We describe a situation and we are certain that it's factual, like we're just giving an observation. Like my partner is always yelling at me. Well, you know, could that be proven in a court of law? What does mm -hmm. the word yell mean, right? What decibel level equals yell? And what do you make it mean that your partner is yelling? We have thoughts about it, right? That that thought may be that partner is elevating their voice to do a certain thing. But my point is, it's not the circumstance that is the problem. It's what we make a circumstance mean that creates a thought for us. And then our thoughts create a feeling. Hmm. And a feeling can be resentment. It can be anger. It can be overwhelm. It can be victimization. It can be any of those things. But our thoughts 
create our feelings. And when we feel a particular way, we take certain actions. So if we bring it to the people pleasing and the saying no, sometimes a person says or has the thought, if I say no, they'll think I'm not good or I'm not nice or I'm not serving them. And when we think that, we may have a lot of different feelings. We may feel nervous. We may feel hopeless. We may feel embarrassed or ashamed. And each one of those feelings will result in very different actions. Mm. And we re- we create our results from those actions, but they'll always go back to what our thought is. It's so true. Yeah. That's so true. And a lot of times, you know, I, I do it as a joke, but it's, it's really, you know, not a joke. It's kind of real where I'll say something and, and then I'll say, oh my God, did I say that out loud? <laughs> you <know? laughs> because, you know, we're thinking things mm-hmm. and sometimes that unconsciously controls our mouth. You know, I mean, even the Bible says, what a man thinketh, so he is, you know, or, you know, what's in your heart. So what's in your heart uh, goes to your mind, comes out of your mouth. And that's why, you know, sticks and stones may break your bones, but uh, words take longer to heal. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting, even with people saying words, I really help people understand what those words mean, right? Right what they make it mean is what's important because they are words, they are syllables, they are sounds. If those very same words that could be construed to be hurtful, if somebody thought that makes it mean that, um, you know, useless, they think I'm useless when they say those words, they think I'm useless. And then I feel like a victim. And when I feel like a victim, I, don't try to do anything, I hide, I don't understand my worth, right? Mm -hmm. And then I create this, I create being useless from that. But I also help people look at those words and say, if those words were written a different language, would they even mean anything to you? So it's really fun to be able to put the pause button on things that we are just constantly on default reacting to. Yeah. And why do caregivers, why do people in general um, want to be liked? Why do they think that saying yes all the time and overcommitting themselves and and saying yes when they really want to say no, but somehow no doesn't come out of their mouth? Um, what's going on? Why is it so important that they want to please this person, that they want to be liked by this person? Is it just that they're you know, they've got a problem. Uh, maybe they had an inferiority complex when they were younger. Does it all stem back to their childhood and things that they haven't dealt with? Or or am I thinking too deeply? Well, yes and no. Part of people-pleasing is a normal, natural, beautiful thing. We are human beings that live in communion with one another. 
We are meant to be in groups. We are a social human being. And yes, from an early age in childhood, we learn to please people. We stand up and people clap, right? We do something, oh, that was so nice. Good girl, good boy. So we recognize from a very early age Doing more of this pleases them, therefore that's good. You know, your brain looks at, is this a positive thing? I want more of that. That's your brain learns immediately to be reinforced for that. So there's nothing abnormal about that. It is a normal, natural part of human connection. And we all do want to be to some degree in collaboration, communion, in of service to people. Where it gets a little tricky is when it crosses over to that situation where we're saying yes when we really don't mean yes, when we mean no, and then we start to resent. So we we can tell whether it's an act of service that we're truly liking to do by the way it feels in our body. If we enjoy doing it, if it gives us pleasure, even to doing something like maybe you don't want to go with your partner to a particular place, but your partner is, it's very important to your partner and you want to support your partner and, and you're willing to do it is very different than going and participating in an event in which you feel diminished and attacked, you know, where you're going into an environment, let's say, where there is abuse, verbal abuse or physical abuse, and you consent to go to that environment. And then you are not protecting yourself. You're not loving yourself. And so you can tell by the way something feels, whether it's within the guidelines of pleasing in a healthful way, mm-hmm. or if it's now gone into kind of a hostage situation or a re- resentful or regretful situation. Yeah. And let's bring the word selfish into this too, because I did a talk at uh, TED Talks called uh, Caregivers Must Be Selfish in Order to Survive. And I wanted to name my book that, but the publisher said, Oh, no, no, you can't do that. Selfish is such a negative word. You know, you'll turn people off and this and that. I listen to it, but TEDx was very happy to use the word selfish. They encouraged me to do it. So that made me realize that it's just a matter of opinion. It's not, you know, set in stone. Um, Selfish, you know, nobody wants to be selfish, right? But caregivers seem to be so selfless that I say that, you know, move the pendulum over a little bit. Uh, Don't worry, it won't go very far because you're just not wired that way. But at least if we can get you balanced, what's your opinion on that? I love, first of all, that you're using a provocative word, right? A provocative concept. Caregivers should be selfish, right? Because you're right. The natural, normal connotation between selfish is that's really self-indulgent and who likes that and you're too big for your britches and, you know, whatever. But we must be taking care of ourselves in order, first of all, who else is going to take care of us? We are responsible as adults primarily for ourselves. We must be selfish to take care of ourselves. We must be self-aware. We must be taking care of ourselves in order, number one, to take care of us, but before we can take care of anybody else. You know, you've heard this a million times. It's the oxygen mask on, but you've got to fill your own tank before you try and drive somebody somewhere else. Like if you have no gas in your tank, you cannot be a good provider. It is 
absolutely critical that you do take care of yourself. And Dave, you knew better than anybody else the statistics on caregivers dying prematurely because they literally are are worn out. They are not replenishing themselves. They're not taking time to eat properly or get enough sleep or go to their doctor appointments or go to their dentist appointments. They are not doing that as what they think is an act of service, but it becomes an act of self-destruction. Yeah. They're not on their calendar. Everybody else is, but they're not in their personal time. And the Bible even says, you know, love others as you love yourself. And a lot of people really don't love themselves because they they give and give and give like they were paying penance, like they are unworthy of anything good. So I'm just going to devote my life to giving, you know, like I'm in prison at the rock pile, you know, making uh, big rocks uh, turn into little rocks. But uh, it, it doesn't work that way, does it? No, and I think sometimes caregivers inadvertently get into these situations because, you know, as you well know, there are many things to do. And I know that in the beginning of your experience with your wife, you had your own struggles, right? Like where, because there's no manual for this. Nobody (laughs) tells you how to do this. And you start to assume all these responsibilities till it gets to a place where you just go like, whoa there is something that is very out of balance here. So it can start very innocently. And unless it is elevated to the awareness level, which which looks at, you know, how can I take care of myself? People think all the time, there's nobody else to do it. Now that's a thought. That's one of those things that falls into a thought. And they're going to go, no, I'm telling you with 100% certainty, I have six siblings. I work with a guy like this. I have five siblings. Nobody else is doing that. That was factual. His siblings didn't choose it, right? His thought was, I have to be the only one. And we know that that's a thought and maybe even a noble thought. But we know it's not a fact because not one of the other five chose that thought, right? Mm-hmm. He could not have done it. There would be consequences for him not doing it. His mother would have had different care. So I helped him understand when he was thinking, there's nobody else, it all falls on me. Uh-huh. That thought created a feeling of resentment for him. And when he was feeling resentful, because he was thinking, I'm the only one taking care of her. The actions he took were very interesting. He ruminated about how terrible it was for him. So he generated, he he used energy for that. He didn't look for any other options. He complained to others about his siblings. He didn't find any ways to do that. And the result for him was he prevented himself from seeing any other opportunities. And as we started to finally talk and we started to look at what possibilities were, not to necessarily go right to the action line, but to shifting the thinking. What if I wasn't the only person that could take care of her? How do I feel when I think there may be other people that could help? 
started to shift his perspective a little bit and to open up his focus. And it was really remarkable to see. I mean, it took quite a long time with him because he was very committed to this idea that it all falls on me. And that well, was and uh, motives, you know, maybe he feels uncomfortable thinking that someone else can do what I maybe, you know, they'll replace me. Maybe uh, I won't have anything to do. Maybe mom won't, uh, you know, think I'm as great as I was because I took care of her. Now this other person is. Maybe that's where his self-worth comes from by doing that. Uh, a lot can be uncovered, you know. You're right. It's a hundred percent. That's why just jumping to the action line to finding another caregiver wasn't the answer because you're right. Like even when he would go to his sibling's house and if they wanted to do something like toilet his mother, you know, he was right there to control what was happening because only he knew how to take care of her. Right. right? And so you're right about that. And I tell people, you know, who, who, you know, I have this Acapulco trip. Oh, I can't leave for Acapulco. I've got to take care of, you know, so-and-so. Uh, nobody can care for her the way I can. And I says, you know, you're probably right. Nobody can care for her the way you can. But you know what? You don't need to find someone to provide perfect care like you provide. You just need someone to find adequate care. And when they come back, they'll appreciate you more. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. And uh, you need to explain to them that when you get away, you recharge your batteries, you come back rejuvenated, and you'll be a better, a happier caregiver. And so will you be a healthier and happier loved one. Yes, yes. And that's a beautiful thought. It's great, right? You don't need to find somebody that's going to provide perfect care or care just like yours, right? Because like a substitute teacher. Everybody knows the subs aren't as good as the teacher, you know? Well, and then sometimes there's a unique thing that happens, and, and that's a wonderful experience. That other thought is, I have to take care, feels very energetically different than I want to take care. Mm-hmm. And it I comes get to take care. Yeah. Or I get to. Exactly. Yeah. And each of those, part of this man's really evolution was going from, I have to take care of her to, I want to, I get to, I actually enjoy. And he started to really see the areas. It didn't minimize the fact that, yeah, like, okay, he didn't love wiping her rear end. Didn't love that. But every job we have has a 50-50, right? And as he realized those kinds of things and tuned his attention towards the parts that were really positive for him, as well as finding ways to to nourish himself, made a huge difference in his life. Yeah, and it was very empowering to me to go to my first support group, uh, you know, 27 years ago, uh, realizing that, wow, they're giving me permission to be selfish, to take care of my needs first, put my oxygen mask on first. And so I, I can't even count how many times I have told my wife over the years when she, when I'm doing something and I wanted, I need to do it first. No, she wants it, me to do something for her first. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's just impatient. And mm-hmm. I'll say, honey, they taught me in uh, caregiver support group that I must put my needs first. So I'm sorry, I have to do it first. And, you know, it shuts her up. And I, I get a great excuse to do it first. Because, <laughs> you know, 
They said, I can. They, <laughs> they give said, me permission. I have permission. I've got a card. And I, and I give everybody out there permission. Put your needs first. You know, if if you both have to eat and you're both hungry uh, and you're a little weak with hunger, eat your food first so that you can feel strengthened and rejuvenated. And then you can uh, serve your loved one, you know, without skimping and, and being in a hurry and being impatient and skipping some things. And uh, let them know that, you know, it's necessary that I go first. Because if, if I go down, you go down, you know. Absolutely. The, the analogy Absolutely. of the plane. Absolutely. It's so funny when I'm on a plane and they do it, you know, I usually go to sleep. And one actually woke me up, one steward. And he says, sir, sir, this is very important. <laughs> and I just, I smiled and I says, yes, I know. I teach this every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. But uh, they didn't believe me. But yeah, yeah. Well, and saying no, like you say, is it an art? And I'll tell you why. When we say no, there's two kinds of hard. There's the hard part of saying no up front, where we feel uncomfortable, where we feel like somebody's going to think something bad of us, or we feel guilty. There's that initial no response that feels a little uncomfortable, but the goal is to have that long-term internal integrity with it versus the one where we say yes more quickly because we're avoiding that initial discomfort. Right. Because we know that if we're going to say no, somebody is going to be irritated. It's not what they want. We're not meeting their expectation. And that's why I say practice it in the mirror, you know, have a nice face, have a smile. You see, I'd really, really like to, but I just can't. You know, I agreed to do that, but you're asking more of me. I think you need to find someone else. And and look at yourself. It doesn't look as bad as you think it looks when you're saying it and you can make sure you have the right face on, the right tonality, the right empathy in your voice. You know, and one of my uh, coaching clients just recently told me, you're going to be so proud of me. Um, This lady who I usually help uh, came up and she says, okay, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to do this. I said, sure, no problem. She goes, oh, and also this other thing that I'd like you to do. And she goes, wait, 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 wait. Um, what other thing? She goes, oh, you know, and she goes, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't agree to do that. I don't have time to do that. You'll have to find someone else to do that. She goes, I would never say that before I started coaching with you. She goes, all of a sudden, I just felt empowered. And she says, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess you are doing a lot. Thank you. I I'll, I, I think I can ask so-and-so, you know. And that's a beautiful thing. That was the, the other part of what I was going to say, that that no upfront that, or I was saying the second one, that when you say yes to just stop the concern from the other person, shows up later as resentment. So you're right saying that initial no. And no, by the way, is a complete sentence, as we, we've we heard before, right? Sometimes we feel like a need to explain and go, and it's like, no, sorry, I'm not going to do that. Thank you, though. I appreciate you. And you can do it in a way And if they don't take no for an answer, then you say, what part of no don't you understand? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a way to even sandwich it. There's a a sandwich technique, which is you acknowledge this person first with a positive thing. Thank you so much for thinking that I could take that on. I appreciate that. You're very dedicated to your work. 
I'm going to say no. The answer is no, I can't do that. But and I, I'm sure you will find somebody else that can. So you've now put that no in there. You've acknowledged them and you've let it go. Um, I think it's a really important part of standing up for yourself. But then the next part is you must have your back. You must have your back. And this goes a little bit into boundaries. Can I talk about that for a second? Of course. Yeah. So a boundary is really something meant to protect oneself. It's it's a request of a person to do something. We don't always have to verbalize our requests, right? But a boundary is something that is done out of love to protect ourselves. So, for example, a boundary might be that um, I don't respond to phone calls after a certain period of time. Uh-huh. And, you know, it, you can certainly state something to somebody, which is, I'm letting you know I don't respond to phone calls after eight. Uh-huh. I appreciate if you don't call me after eight. <laughs> but then said so that's a request. And then the action you take if that request isn't met. So as soon as you answer that phone after eight, you have violated your own boundary. Uh If your boundary is truly to do that because you're trying to protect your sleep, you're trying to dissociate yourself from the work. Um, It's not meant to manipulate anybody. It's meant to protect you. It's meant to create that safe space around oneself uh, out of love for yourself and you know, it's about a person deciding what they will or won't do or won't engage in. But the most important thing to know is that if you do set a boundary, whether you verbalize what that request is or not, and you have a consequence for that, then you have to follow through. Otherwise, you are violating your boundary. Wow. You know, time has really flown by here. Uh, I always say time is the enemy. One last thing you'd like to say before we wrap it up? Um, Well, can I show some of my books as resources? Of course you can. Oh, well, good. Um, This book, I hope you can see it. Yes. It's called The Caregiver's 12-Week Journal and Workbook. This is a great book. It is so simple to use because it's mostly some circling things, but it focuses your attention in literally three minutes. In three minutes, you can start your day and journal about, did I take my meds? Did I check my vitals? How do I feel? How is my energy? What do or can I appreciate? Three little things to tune our brain, write a goal or an intention for the day, um, and, and then write today's most memorable event. There you know, are things like, did I drink enough water? Did I practice mindfulness, meditate, or pray? Those are some of the daily things, but other things that will help caregivers in this is you may have questions. And I, what I see happen with caregivers is that they have thousands of pieces of paper everywhere. This book consolidates whether you're taking your loved one's vitals. It's all in there. You take a snapshot picture of it. You go to your doctor. It's all in one place. If you have questions there, the physical therapy, the emotional, the all in one place, Um, And they're just, the the first thing is a caregiver's pledge. Can I read that to you? Yes. So this is a pledge that I really encourage people. Today, I pledge allegiance to myself, 
because I am worthy and deserving. I pledge to care for myself first because only then I can serve others. I pledge to honor my needs for sleep, water, nourishment, and peace of mind. Today, I pledge to look for small wins. I pledge to take breaks and breathe mindfully. I pledge to acknowledge myself and appreciate myself, not in spite of my circumstances, but because of them. Beautiful. Yeah. So how can we find those books? Yes. You have three books, don't you? I do. I have Just Decide, <laughs> Fail-Proof Strategies to Uplevel Great Your Life, title. Career, and Relationships. And this one, Hope After Stroke for Caregivers and Survivors. These are all on Amazon. Um, and now is a good time to get them. Amazon is increasing their printing costs. So the really? books will be gone. Yeah. And June 23rd, they're raising their prices. So, you know, now is the time to purchase them and they're actually on a very kind of low uh, sale price. Um, Cause normally the book is selling for $17.99. It's selling for $11.99 right now. And the justice side is on sale. So in, um, yeah, so Amazon is the best place to find the books. You can find me at Segoina.com. But that's kind of a hard name to spell. So you can go hope-stroke.com and you can also find me that way as well. Cool. Well, I can't believe how fast our time has gone today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. And um, you have a website? I do. Yeah, hope-stroke.com. Okay. Or my first name, T-S-G-O-Y-N-A.com. I'm the only Segoina, so if you, <laughs> I believe it. I'm the only Segoina. I don't even need what a country. Does that come from that? Name? Oh, it's Russian, German, Hungarian. It's all kind of yeah, Russian. yeah, yeah. You yeah. look Middle Eastern. I was going to say. Yeah, that's my my heritage. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on the show, and for everybody else, my newly released book, Secrets from the Hammock: Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times, is spreading wisdom all over the world. Available wherever books are sold. Also on my free membership website caregiverdave.com. And if you join my Caregiver Dave Facebook community of 34,000 caregivers, you will learn all about my new Acapulco Villa caregiver wellness retreat and vacation offer to burned out caregivers. Just trying to keep as many of those 30% of caregivers who die before their loved ones do alive. And if you check the like or follow button on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this interview on, it helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google's search engine algorithms. So again, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in every time, every Wednesday, and making us the number one caregiver podcast on the internet. So until next week, same time, same channel, may God richly bless you all. Bye-bye. Adios. <laughs> hey, everybody, it's Dave Nassani, otherwise known as Caregiver Dave, and I'm coming to you live from this beautiful Acapulco Villa, which I like to say is the perfect prescription for caregiver burnout. And I have a unique opportunity to bring 14 burned out caregivers up here so that they can decompress and do all the things that they need to do. But this is just a bonus. It actually comes with the six month Zoom coaching program. It's a one-on-one -on -one consult with me, Caregiver Dave, to identify where you are and where you need to go. It's a six monthly small group coaching sessions to smash any obstacles between you and your ideal vision of what a caregiver needs to be and caregiver success. You get my three free books 
and instructions on boundaries, grief, self-care, organization, asking for help, learning how to say no, avoiding burnout, avoiding depression, avoiding perfectionism, avoiding isolation, avoiding resentment, delegation, team building, how to have fun, how to have no guilt, the importance of gratitude, and after caregiving when you're no longer a caregiver. But this seven-day bonus is absolutely free. It comes with the coaching program that you pay for. And the food is all-inclusive. I'm telling you, seven days and seven nights here is amazing. This is truly paradise. And I highly recommend it. For more information, go to caregiverdave.com. That's going to send you to my other website, and if you want a shortcut to get there immediately, just go to acapocodave.com. Thanks again. I look forward to seeing you in Acapulco. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again.